Let the church say, Amen. Amen. Hmm. Grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good to be together. Welcome to worship at North Decatur Presbyterian Church. It's good uh, to be with you. I want to say, first of all, welcome, especially to people who are visiting with us today. Every Sunday, uh, when people walk through the doors, sometimes you have been here for many years, and some people, it's their first Sunday. They've never, ever, ever been here before. And so we especially want to welcome you if you've never, ever, ever been here before. Uh, if you brought a uh, guest with you and you'd like to like, just stand up and introduce them very briefly, you may do that. Or if you're a visitor, and uh, see, it's just too small a church to be anonymous. So if you just want to stand up and wave, that would be fine too. Or if you want to tell us your name as a visitor, we'd be glad to know. Uh, any visitors today who uh, want to get introduced or uh, introduce themselves? Erica. <laughs> Welcome. Good to be with you this morning. Susan, nice to see you. Welcome. Glad you're with us, and thank you for ringing this morning. Anyone else, wanna, uh, visitors, want to say hi? I want to introduce uh, Angela Saxton, who uh, she, she was, thought she was going to get out of it. Uh, Angela Saxon is our organizer with ABLE uh, and taught a class just a minute ago. Uh, it's nice to see you this morning, Angela. Welcome. What else? Yes. Very nice to see you this morning. Welcome. What else? Well, if, yes. Nibs and Caroline, welcome to you this morning. Our um, wonderful neighbors and friends in the faith uh, just across on the other side of Decatur. Um, it's good to be with you this morning, and uh, what a strange thing for you to be in some place other than Oakhurst Presbyterian Church, but if it had to be somewhere, we're glad it's here. So welcome to you both this morning. Um, if, you, uh, if, you, if you're on the center aisle, if you would do that faithful duty of starting the fellowship pad down and uh, just let us know that you're here this morning, and if you'd like to receive the communicator, uh, we'd be happy to send it to you in the days to come on Wednesday. I want to make uh, just a few very brief announcements the, uh, this morning. First thing that I want to say is the congregational meeting is happening next Sunday. Uh, the session meets today to finalize the budget. And so next Sunday is your uh, faithful time to do your Presbyterian duty uh, and to do the business of the congregation. So we'll meet right after worship next Sunday, uh, look at co-pastor terms of call, look at the budget for the year, uh, receive the annual report. Uh, it's a good time to, to sort of see where we are and take stock of things. So we want to remind you next Sunday to plan to be here for just a few minutes uh, as we do the business of the church at our congregational meeting. Uh, also, uh, the, the, it's a good time. A lot of people are talking about the, the word resist right now, and other people, uh, we're in the church talking about the word retreat also. Uh, some people are resisting, others are retreating. Uh, they may be part and parcel of the same thing. Uh, retreats are happening. This is the season. Women uh, of the church are meeting uh, to retreat March 10th through 12th. Uh, there are sign-ups out in the narthex today. Uh, all women are invited to gather for that space. Uh, men are also going to be retreating later in April. Uh, but there is a, a kind of an anticipatory breakfast that's happening on Saturday the 4th 
uh, of February. Uh, men are invited to come on Saturday morning to that breakfast. Uh, it's a shift off the Tuesday schedule for the breakfast for uh, you men who have trouble making it on a weekday. So, uh, and then the young adults of the church are also going to be retreating in uh, March. So if you uh, fall in that category, or you think you do, uh, uh, let us know. Talk to me or Amanda. We'd love to uh, have you join us uh, on retreat in March. Now, the last thing I want to say this morning, um, the, the, legislate, the legislature, the state legislature in Georgia uh, has kind of been in their little budget mode for the past couple of days. It's, everything's quiet, but Monday, it all goes back again and everything gets fired up at the legislature. So Tuesday night, Presbyterians for Better Georgia, which uh, we're a partner of, uh, is hosting their, uh, um, what is it called? Ad Advocacy Training Night, right? Advocacy Training Night. Uh, at Tuesday, 6 p.m., Central Presbyterian Church. Uh, we've got an amazing lineup of legislators and also uh, lobbyists and advocates who are going to talk about what's coming to the legislature this spring and get you informed and excited and motivated. And you can sign up, uh, you can sign up today. Let myself or Kate know if you have questions, but we'd love to get you uh, signed up for the, the advocacy training night on Tuesday. Are there any other announcements that need to be made? This morning, we start a new series. Uh, six weeks we're going to spend on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, six weeks may sound like a long time to some of you. I know a church that took 24 weeks to make it through the Sermon on the Mount. There's more than enough material in there for us to talk about. This text is one of the most amazing texts in all of the New Testament. It tells us what Jesus' priorities are. It tells us about God and how God's love makes its way into the world. And it offers an answer to this perpetual question that all of us have, which is, how therefore shall I live? How shall I live? During six weeks in the fall, some of our congregation's young adults met and studied this text and, and wrestled with it and held it up and looked at it and let it work on them as they worked on it. And they have shaped the series that we will share together. So even as you hear the words of Jesus, you will also hear about the concerns and perspectives of people in their 20s and 30s in our congregation who are every bit as much as you are asking the question, how therefore shall I live? Sisters and brothers, we gather in this place to worship. Let us worship together our loving God.
Let us rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on God's law day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Be seated. Our call to reconciliation this morning is a poem by Muriel Reckheiser. Muriel was a poet and political activist writing in the 50s and 60s. 
She is best known for her poems about equality, feminism, social justice, and Judaism. I lived in the first century of world wars. Most mornings I would be more or less insane. The newspapers would arrive with their careless stories. The news would pour out of various devices interrupted by attempts to sell products to the unseen. I would call my friends on other devices. They would be more or less mad for similar reasons. Slowly, I would get to pen and paper, make my poems for others unseen and unborn. In the day, I would be reminded of those men and women brave, setting up signals across vast differences, distances, considering a nameless way of living, of almost unimagined values. As the lights darkened, as the lights of night brightened, we would try to imagine them, try to find each other, to construct peace, to make love, to reconcile waking with sleeping, ourselves with each other, ourselves with ourselves. We would try by any means to reach the limits of ourselves, to reach beyond ourselves, to let go of the means to wake. I lived in the first century of these wars. Let us pray together the printed prayer for reconciliation. The world is so much bigger than I am, and the powers and principalities appear so much stronger, and the enemy could be anywhere. But there is a vast world inside me, too, and here Christ plays, shows me where to walk, what song to sing, how to love. When Christ plays inside of me, the world outside becomes something to love, not fear. I am larger, stronger, and more connected to you than I ever imagined. Please rise, embody your spirit for the assurance of grace.
The good news of God's love is for all people. By the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, loved, and freed. in Christ, the world outside and our lives are something to love and not fear. In this spirit, let us share the peace of Christ with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. As we prepare to hear the word from Scripture this morning, we sing our way into preparing, and the, the song becomes our prayer so that our ears and our hearts might receive the good gift that God would offer to us through the reading of Scripture. So let's sing our way into receiving the word this morning. 
reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel. In the seventh chapter, it's verses 13 and 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says, enter, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, And the road is easy that leads to destruction. There are many who take that road. But the gate is narrow. And the road is hard that leads to life. And there are but a few who find it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You turn your eyes and ears toward Ellen. Thanks be to God. I saw you all watching Pastor David as he was sharing that verse from the Bible. He had kind of a prop up there with him today. Still there. See that? He has that gate. And he stood at that gate while he read the message. And I know he's going to talk more if you stay in here for his sermon. You'll hear more about that message that Jesus delivered. But one of the things that made me think about right away was that Jesus said there were two paths to go down. He said one of them, a lot of people go down and it won't be so great. But the other one's a little, maybe a little trickier to find It's a little narrower, and it's the right path to take. And the great news is, even though Pastor David read it, the person who really said it was Jesus. Jesus says, there's a path that might be a little tricky to find for some people, but no worries for you because I'm here to help you find it. So Jesus helps us find things we can do and actions we can take that help us live in God's way and show love and be a part of God's loving world. So last time I talked to you up here in Word and Worship was right after we had an election. And we talked about how right after the presidential election, there were a lot of people, including people here at our church, including maybe some of you and some of your family members, who were fearful that some members of our community would not be treated fairly in the days ahead. And do you remember we talked about um, uh, all these pictures that some artist had made where all the characters have something in common. Do you remember what they ha- all have? They have a safety pin, that's right. And we talked about how people, one thing people could do if they wanted to send a message that they would be a friend to all 
is they could wear a safety pin on their clothes. So we talked about that, and maybe some of you did that, and maybe you saw some people wearing some safety pins. Maybe you still see that sometimes. But quite a few weeks have passed since we talked before. Another big event just happened the other day, and here I am to talk with you again today. So the other day, we had the actual changing from our former president, President Obama, to our current president, President Trump. And the way our American government works is we have that change that happens smoothly and easily and nicely for everybody. But just as we talked about before, there are still people who are concerned, maybe even fearful, that some people won't be treated fairly. And so a lot of those people said, well, what can we do about that? And one of the things people said they can do is all get together and be a community and march together. Raise your hand if you know someone who was a part of the march that took place yesterday. Look at all the hands out in the congregation, too, and lots of you are raising your hands. And if you didn't know that, um, let's see, that Janie Kate's mom was there, Margaret Grace's mom was there, I was there, who else up in this area? Miss Susan was there, Miss Ginny was there, and all these other people. So now you can all raise your hand, because now we all know somebody who was in that march, right? Now you can put your hand down. Yeah. So that was another way that people who are concerned that everyone be treated fairly did more than just be fearful, they did something. I want to tell you one story about when I was at that march yesterday. I could talk to you till the sun goes down and it's time for us all to go to bed. I have so many stories I could tell you, but I don't get that long to talk to you today. So I'm just going to tell you one quick story. At the end of the march downtown yesterday, many of us stood where we could hear some people speak to us in a microphone like this. And one person was speaking about some things going on that nobody's very happy about. And some people out in the audience, in the crowd, started to boo. Everybody boo. Boo. That's right. What that person said in a loud, clear voice was, don't boo, vote. So what she was saying was, don't just be sad about it. Don't just be fearful about it. When it's time to vote at the elections the next time, make sure that's something you really do. Don't boo, vote. And that made me think about what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says a lot. It's that big fat book. It's got a lot. Of, it's a big fat set of books with a lot of books in it. So there's a lot, a lot that the Bible says. But there are two things that kind of go with don't boo, vote. One of them is that thing that the angel says at the nativity play we do every year. When the angel appears, what's the first thing the angel says? Do you remember? I hear it. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And there's something that Jesus says to all of his followers and friends and listeners just about more than anything else he says to people. One word, and I'm not going to make you guess it, but I know you'll all go, oh yeah, I know that's right when I tell you that that one word is love. 
right? God, Jesus says, love your enemy, love your brothers and sisters, love your neighbor as yourself. So when I heard that don't boo vote, and it kind of meant don't just be sad or scared, but do something too, it made me remember don't be afraid, love. And at that march yesterday, we did a lot of chanting. So people would say something out, and then the whole crowd would say it back, or part of the crowd would say something, and the other part of the crowd would say it back. So I want us to close like this. I want all of us up here to be the ones who say, don't be afraid, love. And then we're going to ask the congregation to say it back to us, and we are going to end with a nice, loud chant. Are you ready? We're the leaders. Let's practice one time. Don't be afraid, love. Okay, here we go, for real. Loud, like you mean it. Here we go. Don't be afraid, love. We need to be louder. Don't be afraid, love. Last time. Don't be afraid, love. And everybody together said, amen. Thank you, everybody. Roll up. Jesus would have you see in your mind's eye a city. And there are roads leading up to the city from all around. And when you're still out in the countryside and the city is just a blip on the horizon, the roads are broad-shouldered and they're wide and and there is room to walk two or three or four abreast and, and room for people to pass by on both sides. But as you get closer to the city, the road narrows. And perhaps there are several other roads that that join in with yours, and the road starts to feel crowded. You can feel people pushing and jostling just a bit. And, And the way you have been told to enter the city is by a narrow gate. And perhaps the entrance is a little bit hard to find. Maybe it's just hidden away around a corner. And you know that it's coming close, but you start to feel the people pressing on you from behind and to the side. And and you can feel yourself starting to get carried away in the crowd. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. It's coming. You you can see the signs. You've been told what to look for. And you have to make a decision in that moment. Are you going to push through the crowd and find your way to the gate? Or are you going to go with the flow of the crowd wherever it ends up taking you? Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says. 
but be careful, there are few who find it. It all sounds kind of ungracious, doesn't it? Like it's not the Jesus that we, we like to come and gather around. The one who declared at the beginning of this amazing Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, has there ever been a more generous and inclusive statement than that? Blessed by God, favored by God are the people who least deserve it, who haven't done a thing to deserve it. They are loved like, by God. God is large like that. But now here at the end of the sermon, this graciousness gets, gets intersected by a warning. And yet still in that warning, there is the ring of truth, isn't there? Not all ways of living lead to life. There are choices to be made in this life, and they are hard choices. And exactly because they are hard choices, not everybody's going to make them. I mean, doesn't it in fact sometimes feel like the world around has gone a bit mad? I mean, like most good people out there have rationalized our way into taking the easy road. Even when that road doesn't lead to life. But not you. Not you, Jesus says. And he is talking to you, by the way. Not you. God has gifted each and every one of you with the capacity for good judgment You've been prepared for this decision. Take the hard road. Find the narrow gate. It is the one that leads to life. Will you? I mean, we like to think that we'd be the one to go against the flow. The one who's going to make that right decision. Who won't just take the easy way. What is it, do you think, about a person that makes the difference between choosing the easy road or the hard one? Let's talk for a minute about character this morning. I want to ask you just to take 10 seconds and turn to your neighbor, yes, that neighbor, Turn to your neighbor, and in one or two words, describe to your neighbor the character of Jesus. How would you describe the character of Jesus? Go ahead, turn to your neighbor, and say, what's the character of Jesus? What's Jesus like? Anybody want to offer an answer or two? What, what did you come up with? Loving, I heard. Loving, caring for each other. Serving. Compassionate, loving, caring for each other, serving, compassionate. Anyone else? What else? Unusual. That's a good description. Unusual. All right, now, one more exercise. Turn to that same neighbor, and in one or two words, uh, go ahead and describe your own character. Go, now, go ahead. Uh, 
All right, now I gotta hear just like one or two of these. What, what, what have you said? What <laughs> needs improvement? Uh, what else? In process. Good. All right, so. So I appreciate you being willing to do that. Uh, the, 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 the neat thing is that this is, uh, this is something that you and Jesus have in common, right? In that you both have a character, right? Um, <laughs> character is this, is this set of mental and moral qualities that make us who we are. It's absolutely, I think, the most important thing about you. But where does that character come from? Where did your character come from? How do you get it? And maybe the most important question that you've already asked is, am I stuck with the one that I have? Well, we know character changes. I mean, no one emerges from the womb with character. It's not a genetic inheritance that we get from our parents. Nor is it inevitable that we will develop a sound character. Character forms over our life, day by day, even hour by hour. You find yourself as a, as, a, as a person maybe nine years old, and you're sitting at the breakfast table, and there is one more hot biscuit left on the plate. Do you take it? Do you split it? Do you throw it in the trash can so nobody can have it? Right? These are character questions. How many of you remember your first pet, right? And the first time you remember that, yes, the dog has to get walked at 11 o'clock at night in the rain. We are connected to every living thing, this relationship of interdependence. That's a question of character development. Anyone remember their first job this morning? Mine was cleaning public restrooms. Talk about a character-building experience. Like, if the guy before didn't do the job, my job got that much harder, right? And if I didn't do my job, the person after me had that much harder a job. What do you say when you're angry? What do you do when no one is looking? These are character questions. Day by day, hour by hour, our character is forming It'd be so much easier if character were simply a matter of following the rules, but you know as well as I do that in the most important decisions in life, rules do not apply. How do you know who to marry? How do you know how to treat them when you do get married? How do you know what work you're supposed to be doing with your life? What are you going to do the first time you get a paycheck? Nobody tells you what to do with that paycheck. Well, in some places they do. Some families they do. Every paycheck you get after that, you've got a decision to make. What are you going to do with your money? What happens when you encounter, for the very first time, someone who is radically different than you, uncomfortably different? That is a character question. Character is the most important thing about you. How did you get yours? Who gave yours to you? Well, certainly your parents had an influence. I'm sure that the family that you grew up in shaped your character. Your friends shape your character. They say you are the company that you keep, for better or worse, for some of you. But a good bit of our character, 
is also formed by the institutions that we choose to be a part of. You know what I'm talking about, the, the groups where our hearts feel at home. Like, is there a place for you in your life that has defined what you see as normal? That is a place that's had a profound impact on your character. It might be a family. It might be a neighborhood. It might be your workplace if you spend a lot of time at work. It could be this church. But institutions can be powerful because they can shape how we see reality and how we see our place in it. Within institutions, our character takes its shape. Now, now, a lot of times it's easier to see this happening in somebody else's life instead of our own. John Lewis is somebody who's been in the news a lot lately, most notably for being the congressman of the horrible 5th District here in Atlanta, and for being a man of all talk and no action. My, um, my son James has been reading uh, these biographies of John Lewis, they go under the title March, right? How many of you have seen these? They're graphic novels, comic books, and stories of John Lewis's life. In the first one, you meet Lewis, and he's growing up in Alabama as the son of sharecroppers in the 40s and 50s, and you meet his parents who are dignified people, faithful Christians, but they know they have to keep their heads down and their noses clean. The institution of the Jim Crow South shapes the way the Lewis family can express their character. And then John comes along. He is precocious and he's intelligent. He's the kind of kid who runs away not to cause trouble but to go to school. He likes the chickens, he likes the chickens, and he preaches to the chickens, right? He becomes a preacher to the chickens in his family's yard. And John can see the world for how it is. He sees it clearly, he sees that it's starkly unequal and unfair, and his character wants to take shape in this world, but it's not clear what his choices will be. But little by little, Cracks appear, and the light comes through. He takes a trip with a relative up north to Buffalo and sees a new horizon. He's listening to the radio one night and hears a sermon like he's never heard before by a new young preacher in nearby Birmingham. When he's 16, the Montgomery bus boycotts start and it opens his mind and he gets to college at Fisk in Nashville and he encounters a powerful teacher named Jim Lawson. How many of you know that name, Jim Lawson? You gotta know that name. Jim was a student of Gandhi, studied nonviolence and became the most powerful teacher of nonviolent practice. And, and Lewis slides up next to Lawson and learns from him. Lewis becomes a leader in the lunch counter sit-in movement in Nashville and a leader in the Freedom Rides, all by the time he's 21 years old. What's so amazing about the storytelling in March is that you never get the sense 
that John Lewis sees himself as special, or like he's some kind of hero. These marvelous things that he does, the sit-ins, the freedom rides, the march on Washington, the standoff at the Pettus Bridge in Selma, he treats all of these things like they are just simple expressions of the character that had been forming in him since his childhood. From his faith, and from his family, and from that community of justice seekers with whom he chose to share his life. Our actions, what we do in this world, our actions flow from character. Your character is not some innate disposition. It's not some heroic choice. Character is training in the ways of righteousness. Let me say that again. Character is training in the ways of righteousness. That is exactly how Matthew's gospel talks about what it looks like to become a Christian. In the community of followers of Jesus, your character is formed. This is the place, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, this is the place in which we are trained in the ways of righteousness and made into the image of Jesus. It is in this place where you learn to give generously whether you want to or not. It is here where you discover that you cannot serve God and wealth at the same time, even though you may want to. It is in this place that you learn to pray and then learn to pray like you mean it. It's here that you learn, and you will learn this if not today or tomorrow. One day, it's, you learn not to worry about what tomorrow brings. It's here where you learn what it means that mourning is a blessing because it means you loved and loved well. It is in this place where you taste and see what it means to be salt and light for the world, where you learn to forgive people who have hurt you 70 times, seven times, where you learn not to judge others, where you learn to do unto others exactly as you would have them do unto you. The character of Christ becomes your character. And in this place, you are trained in the ways of righteousness. Now I know. Now I know you're saying, you didn't hear that one word that I offered about my own character a few minutes ago. You're saying, you don't know how far away I am from that vision that you just described. You say they'll train monkeys to write Shakespeare before I ever get to that place of looking like Jesus. But friends, that is not the point. The point is not whether you think you can do it. 
point is that Jesus has brought you here and knows that you can. There ain't one of us in this room that thinks we could do what John Lewis has done. But then when you listen to John Lewis tell the story, John Lewis never thought he could be John Lewis. It was his character that was being formed day by day, hour by hour. All those people who poured themselves into him, who nurtured him and instructed him so that what John Lewis did and what John Lewis still does flows from who he is. What he does is who he was trained to be. In this place, in this community of Jesus followers, you are also being formed in that same way. In this place, the Spirit of God is at work and she is instructing you in the way of wisdom and life. She is teaching you through the example of people who are sitting to your left and your right, in front of you and behind you. You are being formed even as we speak. And friends, you are not yet who you will be, but thanks be to God, today you are not the same person you were when you first walked through these doors. It's not that we're especially good people in this place. It's just this is the place that Jesus has decided to be. And Jesus has promised, I will be with you always till the end of the age. So if you hang around this place long enough, Jesus, with the help of a few of his crazy followers, will change your heart in such a way that you will be marching for justice. You will find yourself giving far more than is reasonable. You will be creating beautiful relationships with people you had no business talking to. You will be singing a song of freedom, not just with your lips, but with your life. One day, you hang around this place long enough even loving your enemy will strike you as a fine idea. And when that time comes and you feel the crowds pushing on you and the easier thing would just be to go along, you will remember that you have been chosen for a different path. Friends, you will find the narrow gate. You will open it and you will go through and you will find it leads to life.
be seated. This morning, our prayers were written by two Presbyterian pastors, Scott Black Johnson and Patrick O'Connor. Pa uh, Scott Black Johnson served as pastor of Trinity Pres here in Atlanta before moving to Fifth Avenue Pres in New York City, which is on the same block as Trump Tower. Patrick O'Connor serves at First Pres in Jamaica, Queens. This is the congregation into which our current president was baptized and confirmed. This week, these two pastors earlier in the week had an opportunity to meet with our current president and to pray with him. And this is the prayer they prayed. They used the language of president-elect and I will be using the language of president. As we prepare to pray, I would like to invite you to gaze for a moment at one of the narrow gates, either up on the screen or here in front of you or in your bulletin. Take a moment to bring your gaze to the narrow gate, for we will be praying in the manner of the narrow gate this morning. The narrow gate insists that we pray wholeheartedly for those that we would seek to distance ourselves from. And this means that we don't just pray for their well-being for the sake of our own sanity or our own well-being, but because they are a beloved child of God. And we pray for their well-being with every cell in our body. The narrow gate also insists that we place ourselves in need of the same mercy and transformation as those that we would see ourselves in opposition with. For there is no hierarchy of who is in need of more or less salvation. Jesus has made this clear. We have no insider's privilege. Such is the way of the narrow gate. So let us take a deep breath in and exhale. Settle ourselves into a posture of wholeheartedness and humility. And together, let us pray. Loving creator, all the people of the earth are yours. We are your children. Your will is done when governments are rightly administered. Liberty is preserved. Justice is decreed. Dignity is assured and care is extended to the most vulnerable of your children. This day, we would ask that you would look with favor upon President Donald J. Trump. Look with favor upon President Donald J. Trump. Protect him and keep his family safe. Grant him equal doses of courage and humility. 
guide him as he makes countless decisions. Give him wisdom and mercy. Enable him to find the right words, good words, true words, healing words. Our country's differences and divisions are vast. Deliver us, loving God, from rancor and cynicism. Forgive our sins. Encourage each of us to kindness. Teach us to mend the tattered places in our society. Give us hope and a holy perspective for the living of these days. Tender creator, in some ways, in important ways, we all want the same things. We want opportunity. We want fairness from our government. We want safety. We want order. We want clean water and fresh air. We want to come home at night feeling like we are making progress, like we are part of something bigger than ourselves, like we matter. We all want to matter. Give to us all, Holy One, in this time, common purpose and an uncommon commitment to this great country. Help us to work together to achieve a more perfect union, a nation that is more than the sum of its parts. Gracious God, mold the president into your servant. Help him to lead us in pursuing your extraordinary vision. This we pray in the name of the one who calls all people to reconciling and redemptive work, Jesus Christ, our sovereign, who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father and Mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I am not Ashley Kane. I'm not going to speak for Circle of Care. Ashley's not feeling well today, so we'll give her an opportunity 
to give a testimony about that ministry at another time. I want to invite you to share the offering this morning. The offering is a time for us to uh, support the life and ministry of this church, for us to acknowledge that this is a place where we are trained for righteousness and that that requires some resources to do that. But this is also a time for you to reflect on what you have been given that you might give to others. God pours out God's gifts on your flesh. God has poured out God's gifts on your flesh and given you something for the common good. What is that gift that you have been given that you are being invited to share this week? As the choir makes its offering of song, we return our gifts and offer them to God and to each other.
Sisters and brothers, whether you asked for it or not, whether you liked it or not, you have just been trained in the ways of righteousness. So your invitation is to be a little stronger than you were before you came in, a little more hopeful. Maybe you have a word of peace or grace to share with someone. Sisters and brothers, take what you have been given and take it out from this place in a spirit of love. May the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of God's Holy Spirit be with you and moving in you now and forevermore. In one voice we say, Amen. Amen.